Good morning, church family. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, we want to welcome our mission team who came in this morning around 1 in the morning from your trip to Mexico. I'll be watching you guys. You're not allowed to pray for me during the sermon. We want to welcome Michelle Goff who's here. I, I didn't I forgot you were going to be here today. We've known Michelle since she was just a wee little middle schooler. She leads the ministry, international ministry, and she's here in Colorado this week. We're glad to have Michelle here. And we're um, so glad, Linda Keller, to have you here. We know this is a hard day for you, and we love you so much. And, and let's be sure and surround Linda. We'll be having a special memorial service for her husband, Norman next Sunday, but we're delighted to have you and your sweet little granddaughter. Proverbs chapter 3. I'm going to read 18 verses. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. Notice it doesn't say in most all your ways. It doesn't say in some of your ways. It's a huge point. In all your ways. Acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled overflowing. Your vats will brim over with new wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves. As a father, the son he delights in. Blessed is the man who finds wisdom. The man who gains understanding. For she is more profitable than silver. And yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways. And all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who embrace her. Those who lay hold of her will be blessed. So as we see in the, in the opening of our reading today with the words, my son, the book of Proverbs is, is, a, is, a, is poetic language that's written in the style of, of a father giving instructional advice to his, to his young son, giving him wisdom as he's entering into adulthood that will, as the passage says, prolong his life and bring him prosperity. And so parents, you should notice that. You should notice that. As we are looking into the book of Proverbs and specifically for godly wisdom on, on finance and money management in our, in our current sermon series, you would do well to follow this advice of a father or a parent giving advice to their children on, on financial stewardship. I believe that the mistake too many parents make is the easy road of just giving to their children money of just giving them whatever it is they need, whatever it is 
they want or bailing them out when needed. But our passage today tells us that more important than giving our children silver and gold and rubies is leaving them with wisdom that's going to equip them to make decisions in life once they're on their own. Just handing out money is not the answer. That's what we've really been talking about for the past couple of weeks. As last week as we looked at the, the national debt clock, which represents horrible, irresponsible money management on a national level, which represents horrible, irresponsible money management on an individual level of the average American. We discovered that the answer to solve our problems is not let's just get some more money and throw it at it. The answer is not, well, let's just, and you hear this talk, it's maddening. Let's just borrow more. Let's raise the debt ceiling so we can pay off the debt that we have by, by going into debt more. Or maybe the problem, if we could just, if we could talk, remember we talked about this last week. Oh, if I, once I inherit some money, then I'm going to be set. Or once I win the lottery, then I am good to go. This week, did you notice in Wisconsin was the third highest lottery winning in history of the Powerball lottery. The, the winning was $784 million with a payout of $450 million. That would solve it, wouldn't it? I was at Mercy's Gate and I was praying with a woman and she's just like, constant, huge problems in her life. And these are her words. I'm just waiting for my pot of gold. And you know, I, 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 one of the perks of being married to Karen is that I go to Ireland a lot. And I, I've seen a lot of people that might, might be leprechauns. They kind of look like it. I've seen, I've seen rainbows, oh my goodness, over the Irish Sea facing Scotland. Beautiful double rainbows. I've seen this. I've seen the sheep and I've seen the green pastures and the hedgerows. I've never seen a pot of gold, but she's waiting for that pot of gold. That's not the answer. And we learned this last week in Proverbs. Proverbs says in 2021, an inheritance quickly gained at the beginning. And we thought, oh, that's it. No, it will not be blessed at the end. Why not? Because as we learned in our lesson last week, no matter how much money you inherit, no matter how big that pot of gold is, no matter how much money you may win, no matter how much more you may borrow, you will never have enough. Because like the leech, it's in Proverbs 30, look, like the leech, you'll always be craving more until you find Christ and know Christ, until God becomes enough for you, you will never have enough ever. And so the answer, the answer to what's going on in our nation, which is maddening, the answer, therefore, what, that reflects what's going on in our families, it's not, if we can just throw some money at it, if we can just borrow more, no, the answer is we have to change our way of living. We have to change, we have to learn new habits. And they're, they're not just Habits, they're godly habits, they're from scripture. We learn in the book of Proverbs in a very practical way. It's a, it's a kingdom way of living. We're told in the New Testament to, to, to walk in the spirit. Well, that's kind of vague. What does it mean? Read Proverbs and it will tell you what it looks like in a very practical way to walk in the spirit. This book of Proverbs was written by the richest man who ever lived. The wisest man whoever lived with the wisdom given to him by God. We should pay attention. 
And, and one of the things that, he, that you'll notice in the book of Proverbs, you always want to look for, for repetitive words and phrases. You're going to see this, these comparative Proverbs on the rich and the poor a whole lot. A lot of discussion about the rich and the poor. And he's trying to, in this comparison of the rich and the poor, teach us some lessons on money management and finance and showing us, hey, that's directly connected in what's going on in your relationship with God. This is not something separate from that. And so last week we began a two-part series it was actually, I just had one sermon that was way too long, so I said, okay, I'll make part one, part two. Part two is today, and I'm calling it, I was going to call it Habits of the Rich, but I don't like that, so I'm calling it Four Keys to Wise Financial Stewardship. Plan responsibly, save regularly, give generously, grow spiritually. Last week we looked at the first two. Today we're going to finish looking at the second two here from Proverbs chapter 3. And we're going to let that serve for us as a segue into communion at the tables. The third key to wise financial stewardship is give generously. I don't know about you, but perhaps one of the most well-known, one of the most popular verses in all of the book of Proverbs are these words in verses 5 through 8 where we read, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Well, that's really nice. What does that mean? How do you do that? Well, don't look up and start asking that question. Keep reading. The Bible happens to answer that question in the very next verse. How do you trust God? How do you acknowledge him in all your ways? Verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. How do I honor God? How do I acknowledge him in all my ways? How do I trust him? Through the way I use my material possessions, my income, and my wealth through what I would call giving generously. And I've said it every single time, and I'll probably say it every single time in the future in this series. There's no question in Scripture what you're doing with your money, how you use it, how you spend it. It says a lot about what you think about God and what's your priorities and how you honor God, how you trust God, how you acknowledge God. And so in this little bitty verse... In verse 9, I'm going to pull out three points I want, I want to make here. Three phrases I want us to look at that are going to teach us something really important about, about uh, money management and, and the keys to uh, wise financial stewardship. First of all, notice he says, honor the Lord with your wealth. And the first thing some of you are going, well, all right, I can sit back and look at my phone now. Or nod off since I got in late because I don't have a lot of wealth. Don't go there. Don't think, well, he's talking about wealth. Wealth is not a somebody that's wealthy. It's just talking about whatever you have. Whatever your material possessions are, whether it's $10 or a million dollars, whether it's a nice car or not a nice car, regardless, you honor God with your wealth, with what you have. What is being said here applies to all of us. And so first of all, this passage, I believe, it's a reference to the, and you're familiar with this, most of you are, this command and this custom in the Old Testament of the Israelite people regarding the offerings they brought to the temple. It was, it was not a, a, simply a, a business that they carried out. It was, it was worship to God. It was a way of showing honor to God. And for the Israelites, 10% tithing, that was the standard they were given and most of us are aware that when we move into the New Testament, we're all going, oh, well, we don't have to do that. 
Well, cool. We don't have to give 10%. We just give cheerfully so I can give whatever. We're not bound to that. But I would suggest that 10% is, is a good starting place. It's a good starting place. And here's what's, here's what's interesting. That's typically when you go into a restaurant, that's typically the starting place when you give a tip. Although I, I said that and Karen said, no, I think it's 15%. Let's go with 10 right now. When you're giving a tip, you know, I guess I'm a little bit cheaper perhaps. When you're giving a tip to a server, um, you know, the average that you're going to give is, is, is 10%. If, if they give average service and you give a 10% tip. If they give like, wow, above and beyond, man, I'm going to move up to the 15, 20, 25% place. If you give less than 10% to a waiter or a waitress, or if you're just going, you know, it hadn't been a good week and you just don't tip at all. You ever done that? It's not been a good week, so you don't tip at all. By doing that, basically, you're doing one of two things. You're insulting. Go ask any waiter or waitress. If, if you don't give a tip or if you just give just a, a, something way beyond what would be considered reasonable for 10%, it's going to be considered an insult to them. And it's basically your way of saying, this is what I think about your service. So are you, are you connecting the dots? You kind of, I guess you see where I'm going um, with this. As the Israelites brought their contributions to the temple as an act of worship, we, in a sense, bring our offerings to the temple, to our place of worship. And we offer to God when the plates are passed. Our offerings are through our ACH or direct pay or now through push pay. And the percentage we give to God from what we earn, that's our way of saying to God, this is what we think about your service given. The average church-going Christian gives 3% of their income from what they make. So are you the average church-going Christian? Think about it. Karen and I go to Village Inn. I mean, I, we go to nice places, right? And $30 dinner, and I'm going to give 30%. That comes out to giving him or her 90 cents. What message does my giving send to God about what I think about who he is and what he's done for me? So based upon the standard we use in restaurants, if we go with that, if we give 10%, we're saying, God, here's the average. If we go above that, we're saying, God, I look at you and who you are and I see how you've gone above and beyond the average and therefore I'm going beyond, above and beyond that in my expression of worship to you. So as I compare these two, and I think it's a fair comparison, comparing our tipping at a restaurant compared to our giving to God in our, in our offerings, statistically speaking, the average church-going Christian shows more value and concern to a waiter for refilling their drinks than they do for who God is and what he's done in their lives. Just something doesn't feel right when I look at it in that comparison. And then when I go further and, and, I, and I look at it, remember we talked, we talked about last week, when we went to Matthew 25 and the parable of the talents in the context of stewardship. And we talked about all that I am and all that I have is from God and all that is God's that he has given me, I'm to use it for his purposes and for his glory. And so with that idea, idea in mind of being a good steward, the real question isn't, as I consider my offering to God, how much of what is mine should I give to God's? The real question is, how much of what is God's 
should I keep for myself? So we're called in Scripture to honor the Lord with our wealth, our material possessions. Do you honor God that way? Then secondly, secondly, he, he says here, honor the Lord with your wealth. And then the second little phrase I want you to notice, with the first fruits of all your crops. So the first fruits, most of us here, I guess we're not farmers, so we may not be in touch with this, but, but there would be, uh, I think at least annually, once a year, maybe twice a year, when, when they would have a harvest of their crops, before they would do anything else with what would come from that, they would give an offering, a portion of that to God. That would be the first thing they think about. Have you, have you received your tax refund yet? Hopefully you'll get one, right? When you do, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Like my dad, a couple of years ago, this was a pretty big deal to me. He gave me, gave me and Karen $2,000 for Christmas. And the first thing that came to mind was Best Buy. It did, I'm sorry. Monster TV. And it's in my house now. Pay. What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you get your tax refund? New shoes. Cruise. Go out for, for a nice meal. First fruits means the first thing I think of. How can I worship and honor God with this? Usually, sadly, so often we think, okay, God's in the picture, right? But first of all, I got some bills. First of all, I got some taxes. Second of all, I need to take care of this. And third of all, I really want to do this. And then I have what's left over here. Now, what of that would I give to God? Wouldn't it be crazy to have God over for dinner and to search through the refrigerator and see if you could find the leftovers that you don't want and say, Lord, let me scrape off the mold and the green fuzz. This will be for you. Can you imagine giving God our leftovers? But I wonder if somehow that's not what we do in the giving of our lives. God says in the book of Malachi, I read that. I think last year we talked about Malachi chapter 1 where that's what they were doing. They were going, okay, so I got, I got my crops, my herds, my flocks and everything. Oh, I like that. That's for me. I like that. That's for me. I can't stand that. That's sick. That's dying. And they were offering to God that which was sick, that which was lame, that which was crippled. And God was saying, are you serious? You wouldn't treat your, your government officials like that. And you're giving that to me. He says, please read it. Please lock, shut the doors to the temple. Let's not do this. You're dishonoring me. So they brought to God their tithes and they brought to God their, their first fruits. And I want to mention this. I think it's relevant for us here. There was a difference between tithing and first fruits. First fruits offering was not a, a replacement of their tithes. But it was above and beyond their tithes. And I say that because there are some of us here who prefer not to tithe, who prefer not to give regularly. But we give a particular offering to this person or to this ministry Instead of giving regularly to the church family here, we hold back from that, not giving regularly our tithes to the church, but we give in this way to this ministry, to these people. And in doing so, you must know that hurts the church family. And it creates a greater dependence on others to unfairly carry the larger burden of the church. The standard God gave the Israelites was to regularly tithe and worship God in that way, but also have offerings above and beyond that. 
such as the offerings of their first fruits. And then thirdly, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits. And then notice he says, of all your crops. Not, okay, everything else is covered, what's left, what can we do now for God? And that, that answers one little question that sometimes people ask is, when I'm giving to God, should I, should I give a percentage from my net income, which is I get paid $100 and I got to take like $10 out of that for taxes, now I give something to God? Or should I give it from my gross income? That means before taxes are taken out. And basically what that's asking is, should I put Donald Trump, Governor Polis, and Mayor Southers these government officials, should I put them above God? Like, whoa, that kind of puts it in perspective, doesn't it? Giving God the first fruits of all of your crops, saying, God, you are above all. You are first in my life. Now, I want to mention one thing before we move on to the next point. So while the Israelites gave gave their tithes, they gave special offerings of their first fruits from all of their crops. There was another important thing. It's all over the book of Proverbs. It's actually all over the Bible. There was another way in which they gave generously. Chapter 19 and verse 17 of Proverbs reads, He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he, meaning God, will reward him for what he has done. Chapter 14, verse 31 of Proverbs. Whoever oppresses the poor, you just don't mess with the poor. Just don't, don't oppress them. That's really biblical. Whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker. But whoever is kind to the needy honors God. One of the ways God has called us to generously give is through giving to the poor. And that's hard to figure out sometimes. There's a lot of verses on that. We're going to actually talk about that two lessons from now. How exactly do you go about doing this? But I just want to just drop out this one thought. In the book of Proverbs, in the whole Bible, I cannot see how it's possible to consider yourself a child of God and a follower of Jesus Christ if in some way your life is not given to helping the poor. If you're not a generous giver, it's, it's like the heart of God. It's the key to wise financial stewardship. It's the key to, to true riches. It's an expression of honor and worship to God. The third key to wise financial stewardship, give generously. In that way, you honor God. Fourthly, the fourth and final point in these two-part lesson is to grow spiritually. Grow spiritually. Now, this one, this is not what you do, but it's what happens to you. Notice, did you notice here in chapter 3, in verse 9, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then look at the promise that's attached to it. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. And you're thinking, wait a minute, <laughs> what does that mean? I'm going to be rich? And there's another verse that's very similar to that, 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 that kind of builds on that. In chapter 11, take a look in verse 23, no, 24. One man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. 
A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. And you might think, well, isn't it kind of like the opposite? You give and give and give, you don't have much. And you keep and keep and keep, you get more and more and more. And he says, no, it's just the opposite. The more you give, like the sense, have you ever heard, you, you can't outgive God. And there are some who say, actually someone shared with me last week, this is hard for me, Eddie, because I don't have anything. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk more about that perhaps later, but I can't afford to, to save. I can't afford to plan responsibly. I can't afford to, to tithe. I just don't have much. Perhaps we could share that with the widow who gave of her two mites. It's not about how much you have, but what you do with what you have. These principles apply at whatever level of income you have. And if you're saying, I just can't afford to tithe, if, if that's where my starting place will be, if I can't, I can't afford to do that, perhaps the reason you can't is because you aren't. Did you get that? Let, let, me, let me explain that. It could be that the reason you're having financial problems is because you're not experiencing the blessings that come from putting God first in your life and with your finances. When he says here in chapter 3 in verse 10, then your barns will be filled overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. I don't believe God is saying, man, you're going to be rich beyond your imagination. God is saying, when you put me first, when you honor me, I will take care of you. I will provide for you. And Jesus picks that up in Matthew 6 beautifully, doesn't he? He says, look, 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 don't be stressing over your food, over your clothes or where you're going to stay. I take care of the birds. I take care of the flowers of the field. You seek me first. I will provide. He didn't say, oh, man. Man, you'll have the biggest car, the biggest house. I will take care of you. Let's not make the mistake with these verses that is just horribly represented on TV with these, these televangelists making these grandiose promises. If you'll give, give, give. Man, what they mean is you'll give to them. They're the ones with the big cars and big houses and big salaries. That, that is not of God. I believe this, while indeed being a good steward will likely affect your finances positively, the way you will gain more and prosper and be refreshed, this, as these scriptures tell us, is how that's going to impact you spiritually in your spiritual growth. And so in Luke chapter 16, this is a quite intriguing parable. I've given it to you for your life groups to unpack. I'm going to give you a little verse in the middle of it. And if I pull it out of context, you figure that out in your life groups. Luke chapter 16 in verse 11, Jesus says, If you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth. Notice he distinguishes worldly wealth between something else. If you have not been trustworthy in handling worthy wealth, worldly wealth, who will trust you? with true riches. It's clear in Proverbs, it's clear in all of the Bible, the way you manage your worldly possessions, your money, it impacts true riches, which are spiritual riches. Your relationship with God, it affects your spiritual growth or your lack of it. So I just want to say this, just in case you're thinking, he's just guilt tripping us, twisting our arms, so next Sunday we'll give more money. That's not my primary concern. God is 
the head of this church, he will make things happen. I'm not worried about the financial status of this church. My concern is the spiritual health of this church and what our use of our money has to say about that. Because according to our research, the average family member at Eastside is not coming close to even the average of giving to God 10% of their income. And so the concern here, what does that say about the spiritual growth and health of the average member at Eastside? So if you're not growing spiritually, if, if you kind of reach this plateau, you might look at your prayer life. It might be you're just not praying. Or you might look at your time in the Word of God. That impacts growth. You might look at your outreach to the lost. You might look at are you engaged in, in fellowship, in a life group? Are you engaged in service? That may be the reason you're not growing. But from what Scripture tells us, you might want to take a look at your finances. That could be at the root. And I've said this in teaching on prayer, in teaching on service, in teaching on the Word of God. Let me use prayer as an example. I am convinced that the degree to which you pray and the manner in which you pray and the degree to which you pray, that will be the degree to which you will grow spiritually. And according to what I see in Scripture, I believe it's also fair to say the degree to which you manage your finances and the manner in which you use your and manage your finances, it's the degree to which you will grow spiritually. It's all interconnected. So, who, let's be honest, is the Lord of your life? Who or what is the God of your life? How does your bank statement answer that question? Are you being a good steward of what God has given you by planning responsibly, saving regularly? Are you faithfully and consistently putting God first and honoring him as a generous giver? If you're not, don't be shocked that you're not growing spiritually. If your finances are out of control, there's something deeper at play. It's a, it's a symptom of a life that's out of control. It's a symptom likely of a life that's not under the control of the Lordship of Jesus Christ with him in first place above all in your life. The first step to getting my finances in order is to put my life under Christ in every way. And as we prepare now to go to the tables for communion, it's, it can be a time of let's interact, let's fellowship with one another, but let's really think as we look at what he gave Let's take a look at our lives. It is a time of self-reflection and evaluation. For some of us here, it, it starts out by, Lord, I confess you are the Lord of my life and I give my life to you in baptism. Some of us have yet to take that step. And our shepherds are going to be at the various tables where we have communion. Love for you to talk to them about that. We had that happen three weeks ago and someone was baptized. For others of us, it's simply a matter of God's right here in Scripture. There's some changes I need to make in my life in realigning my life under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. When you love it, if after church is over, I said, I'll be standing out there and I'll be handing out $500,000 to everybody. Wouldn't that be great? It wouldn't change much. What needs to change is me and you. In our way of living, 
living under the lordship of Jesus and by the wisdom he gives us in his word, planning responsibly, saving regularly, giving generously. As you do, you will grow spiritually. So I want to share one scripture and that's going to serve to, to lead us to our uh, communion at the tables. While everyone else is seated, I would ask that our shepherds spread out at the tables so that people can see you as we go for communion. I really want to encourage you, reach out to these guys. Y'all can go now, I want them to see you. Um, reach out to them in prayer. Let me give you one verse that connects with this well. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. We're speaking of the rich and poor, and you find mention of this here in this letter to the Corinthians. He's speaking to them, and I've given this to you in your life groups in chapter 8 and chapter 9. He's talking about being a sacrificial and a generous giver. And in the context of, of this, he, he appeals to the example of Jesus, and he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty he might become rich. That we might become rich. Jesus didn't earmark his giving. Well, these aren't managing things well, so I won't give here. These are, so I'll give here. There was no question in heaven about net income or gross income. There was no discussion about percentages because Jesus gave 100%. And in doing so, I know that he loves me. I know that he values me based upon what he gave. He gave it all to the point of giving his life on the cross through giving of his body and his blood, which we will remember through the bread and the cup that's on the tables. And so as we go to the tables, we remember we give thanks, but let's consider what the Lord has done as we sing, what he has given to us. And let's walk away from the tables convicted to ask, what are changes in my life that need to happen in order for me to fully give of myself in his kingdom service? Let's fellowship with one another at the tables. Our, our elders are, are going to be available to pray with you talk with you. Let's stand and I'll say a prayer and we'll continue in our worship. Lord Jesus, as we go to the tables and we take the bread and we take the cup, these are such small things but of such incredible worth. They represent your life that you gave that we could be delivered out of the poverty of our sinfulness and be brought into the riches, the spiritual riches of your kingdom. Lord, we celebrate, we remember, we give thanks. And God, by this example of yours, represented by these emblems at the table, may you compel us and convict us to look into our lives that we might reflect you in every aspect of our lives and your lordship in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the senior minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs every Sunday at 1040 a.m. as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.